Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Faith on Fire podcast. Whether this is your first time listening or you've been with us since the beginning, I truly appreciate everyone who clicks play. If you're listening to this in real time, we're continuing the discussion from last month's episode around generational wealth. The guest on the podcast today is a lawyer with some great tips on how to pass on wealth after you're no longer here. So stay tuned. This is episode five, season two of the Faith on Fire podcast, preserving generational wealth through estate planning. You're listening to the Faith on Fire podcast, the pod where faith and financial independence intersect. I'm your host, Simone Brumel here to share financial coaching and education through a biblical money mindset. Follow me on my path to financial independence, and I'll give you tips on how to navigate yours. Money is a tool, so learn how to use it wisely. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about estates and estate planning, and I have a very special guest here today to talk with me and give her insights. So before we go any further, I'll pause here and allow her to introduce herself. Thank you. Hi, Simone. How are you feeling today? I'm doing well. Happy to be talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm so nice to speak with you and it's very nice to speak with your audience. Hello, everyone. My name is Lily Nkinchor. I am an estate planning attorney. I've been an attorney for approximately 13 years now. Coming in 2021, it will be 14 years. And I am currently licensed in New York, New Jersey, and Washington, D.C., and working on two or three other states. So I I love what I do. Uh, I think I told you, Simone, that when you go through law school, they throw a few, well, actually a bunch of general classes at you. You're not there to really specialize. You're there to learn and think and be trained as an attorney. But sometimes there are courses that catch your eye and you say, oh, wow, I really like this thing. It's piqued my interest. Maybe if I'm lucky enough, when I get out into the real working world, I'll be able to work for a firm or a government agency or a nonprofit organization that does what I'd like to do. And when I was in law school, I just really loved tax planning, really loved estate planning. It just felt like very powerful areas of law, meaning if you can become aware of those areas and really lean into them and take advantage of them, you can make a world of difference for yourself and for generations to come. So that's really what caught my eye in law school. And I've been doing that work, um, like I said, for about 13 years. And I've it's looked and felt and sounded different over the years. But overall, I, I still love it and I still enjoy it. Yeah, I, I love hearing that story. I know when we spoke earlier, I mentioned that I almost went to law school, so I have an affinity and love for anyone who goes through and <laughs> law degree. So I'm really excited to talk to you, and especially about tax planning and estate planning, because um, it is one of the more interesting areas of the tax law. And probably to me, the most misunderstood or, or taken for granted, especially you know, for people who feel they don't have an estate or they don't need to do that. They have less income or they're not quote unquote rich. So um really happy to have this conversation for our audience. Um, and I guess we can just start really simple with what 
is a will and and what is the purpose of a will got it you made a you made a great point about how sometimes people shut themselves out of the estate planning conversation because they think they're not quote unquote wealthy but i always like to tell people and we'll get into this later there's a difference between estate planning and estate tax planning estate tax planning you're right is for the wealthy many people will not need to engage in estate tax planning but estate planning is for everyone and I always tell persons, if you care about who receives your assets, when they receive and how they receive, if you have minor children and you want to make sure that you name guardians for them, if this is a second marriage and you want to make sure that certain assets stay in one family and not the other family, if you have a business, if you have property, all of these are things that you can control to a certain extent when you're not here. And so if those things pique your interest, if those things are of concern to you, then you should definitely engage in estate planning. And the will is the, the linchpin to all of that. The will allows you to direct where your assets go. I like to use this analogy about the crossing guard. I know, you know, due to COVID, they're not really, there are no crossing guards outside anymore. But at <laughs> one point there were crossing guards, right? And their job was to see the child, receive the student approaching the intersection, hold off things and allow that child to cross the street, get to their destination safely. That's what the will does. The will says, hold up everyone. We have instructions here. I know you said this or you feel that way or this was your mom or this was your best friend, but we have instructions here. And it's my job to carry out these instructions to get the assets from one side of the street to the other. It's my job to get everything safely through the intersection to the other side. And without that will, will the assets eventually get to the other side? Yes, they will. But the important part is eventually. And how much time is wasted during eventually? How much money is unnecessarily spent during eventually? Whereas if you have the will, it clearly dictates who receives the assets, how much they receive, and, and, and that nature. And we can get into the components of the will, but that's the general gist of how a will works. Yeah, that analogy, I, I love that. Never heard it before, but it, you know, brings out exactly what it is. And it really is about giving instructions and being organized, honestly, where you have a plan and you put that in a will and make sure that it's executed when you're no longer here. Yes, um, you're absolutely right. The key word that you said was organized. It's really the orderly distribution of your assets. Because again, for the most part, your assets will eventually go to someone else, but how it gets there, it matters a lot. If you have the will, then it's a much more organized process. Yeah. Um, so we touched on it a little bit, but just again, speaking to people who, who feel like they aren't rich or have assets, what is like your one sentence to them or that benefit that they need to kind of hold on to in understanding that you should have a will and this is the benefit for creating that will? Great question. So for me, and based on my experience and my client's experience, the number one reason for having a will is so that you can control who receives your assets. Death and money changes people very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you'd be you'd be surprised. <laughs> that's <said> nicely. <laughs> yes, that's very nice. You know, all of these handshake agreements and all of the brunches you had and all of the love and the years of friendship that you had. And it's not, and it's not malicious. It's just something about money and death that changes the dynamics. All of a sudden, 
things are misremembered or not remembered at all, all of a sudden documents that were always on the bottom shelf are suddenly have suddenly gone missing. All of a sudden people feel like they're entitled to things and we're not quite sure where they got that sense of entitlement. And so <laughs> the will is just for you to be able to dictate who what happens to your stuff. And I tell people, you've built a big life. Presumably, you've built a big life. You've gone places, you've had experiences, you've accumulated assets, you've lost assets, you've made friends, you've lost friends. The will is a way for you to kind of put the final point on that, put the bow on that. It doesn't make sense for you to grow a career, purchase homes, purchase real estate property, give to your church consistently, raise your children and and be very intentional about your life. And then when it comes to your death, you just shrug your shoulders. Mm. It just seems antithetical to what you've been building for all these years. So the will allows you to uh, have an orderly distribution of your assets. That That's what I would say is the first thing. The second thing is for people who are parents of minors, having a will allows you to name who's going to be the guardian of your children should both parents not be here. And I always tell people godparents is not a legal designation. <laughs> that is a I'm just thinking about godparents as you said that. I was like, oh, yeah. godparents are supposed yeah. to do that. Yeah, no, godparents, that's nice. Yes, the dress that your child wore at his or her christening was very pretty. And the food afterwards was very yummy. But that is a religious <laughs> ceremony. It doesn't have any legal weight in the court. If you want those godparents to have the legal weight of being guardians, then great. You need to name them as such in your will. Just pointing to your uh, christening pictures is not enough (laughs) to say, oh, I want these persons to do that. And then lastly, those people who own property by themselves, um, whether that's home or uh, a timeshare or rental income property, whatever it is, if your name is on the deed, it's yours. And the question becomes, who gets it when you're not here? A lot of people lose their wealth simply because their assets don't know where to go. Your Mm -hmm. assets, they need to know where to go. And I tell people your assets will pass in three ways. They'll either pass by law, they'll pass by contract, or they'll pass by your will. Law is typically going to be your real estate properties, the way that it's titled. That's a legal designation. So if you and I own a home together jointly, Simone, then when I pass away, it automatically becomes yours. No mm-hmm. ifs, ands, or buts about it. No one can fight you about it. Or they could fight you about it, but they will certainly lose, right? That property knows where to go. Um, then assets passed by contract. That would be, um, excuse me, that would be life insurance contracts that have a beneficiary on it. Any type of contract that has a beneficiary or co-owners of checking or savings accounts, those are mm-hmm. all forms of contracts. So those know where to go. But everything else, they're just waiting at that intersection, waiting for the crossing guard to get them to the other side because they don't know where to go. So the will needs to be in place because you have a lot of assets that don't pass by law. They don't pass by contract. And now they're just out there on the curb waiting for someone to direct them. Yeah. Yeah. As you were were talking it, and we, you know, think of, being intentional about how you want your wealth to go on. And it just strike, struck in my memory, the verse in the Bible that talks about um, leaving inheritance for the children's children, et cetera. And 
we do spend a lot of time building that wealth and doing what you need to do, trying to start a business, all of the great like um, financial independence things people do while they're alive. But it's quite often people forget about giving the instructions afterward. And and that's, as you were speaking, that's what this exactly um, is to help and and why it's so important. You're absolutely right. And I love that Bible verse. And I think some people actually feel overwhelmed with it, Simone, because when they read it, they think, oh, I need to leave a big house to my children. I need to leave millions of dollars. And they don't understand that legacy and wealth building doesn't always need to mean here's a bunch of cash and a trust fund waiting for you. Leaving organization is a legacy because you, wow. you're now serving as an example. Leaving lack of debt is a legacy. Now you're serving as an example. So don't get caught up in, oh, I don't have a really big house to leave my daughter. But you left your daughter a will so that she can properly manage your affairs and not be so overwhelmed while she's also grieving you. That's a legacy. Mm. Don't get caught up in the value. Get caught up in how would you want things to run if you were left behind and you were in charge of your assets? How would you want that to look? Being intentional about that to me is also part of legacy building. Awesome. So as we were talking about this, obviously when we speak of matters of death and when we're no longer here, our, our minds tend to go towards later in life. Obviously we want to live as long as possible. So you're not necessarily thinking about this in your prime or in your younger years, but is there a common age people should be thinking about estate planning, leaving wills? I wouldn't say there's an age. I would say if one or two things have happened, meaning you have property and you own it by yourself, you should have a will so that the property knows where to go. So for all of us out there who own a one bedroom, two bedroom condo, and it's just us and it, meaning you, you don't own it with anyone else, you want to have something in writing, AKA the will that dictates how that property passes. If you are a child, excuse me, if you have a child, whether you are a single parent or a two-person parent, whether you're married or you're not married or you're engaged or you never want to be married, as long as you have children, you should have a will. And as long as you have a property, you should have a will. But if you don't have those things, I think you can push it out a little bit further. So I'm not going to say there's a magic age of 33 where everyone should have their will. I think Mm -hmm. that there are some milestones that should trigger you. And property ownership and parenthood are two really big um, triggering milestones that should put you in the mindset of having a will. Yeah, I think that's that's a great word, milestones, um, instead of age. And Overall, I think right now it's common for people to stop putting a specific age on doing things, right? Whether that's graduating, school, getting married, having children, it's not so much about the age, but if and when you do cross that milestone, there are certain things that come with that that you should be thinking about financially. Right. Absolutely. And I love what you said about trying to step away from these kind of arbitrary rules about I should have X by such and such date. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just let's pay attention to the intentions we've set for ourselves. Let's pay attention to the milestones and, and, and take and take care of what we're building baby steps along the way. I don't want anyone to feel overwhelmed. That's That's another reason why people don't do estate planning. They know it's the right thing to do and people always regret. And everyone has horror stories about their uncle or their best friend 
best friend's dad who didn't have anything in writing and what a mess it created. So everyone knows that it's valuable, but no one wants to sit down and have a conversation about a time when they're not here because Mm -hmm. it's scary. And sometimes we assume it's overwhelming, but that's the advantage of working with a good estate planning attorney. We hold your hand and take the complexity and the fear out of all of this. Yeah, I I love that. Um, So I want to ask you a couple of questions about some common scenarios where I think people may be on the fence about getting in a will or have questions. Um, And we talked about it a little bit, but people who are single without kids, um, what should they be thinking about or how should they approach leaving a will? Okay. So single without kids. So this is what I would say. Estate planning has so many facets to it. So even if you're single and you don't have children and you don't have property, you might be thinking, oh, I don't have to engage in any estate planning. But because there are so many facets, you should be aware that there's other ways to engage in estate planning. I always encourage people to have the emergency documents. Emergency documents are the health care proxy and the power of attorney. These documents essentially say, listen, I have an agent. I always use LeBron James as an example because to me, he can do no wrong, right? LeBron James, (laughs) he has an agent. And that agent goes to meetings on his behalf. That agent reads contracts for him. That agent has a lot of authority because due to the nature of what LeBron James does, he can't attend every meeting, right? Mm -hmm. You can secure your own agent and say, in emergency situations, Joe can make financial decisions for me. In emergency situations, Jane can make medical decisions for me. If there's no emergency, then I don't really need Jane and Joe. But if there's an emergency, I trust these two persons, or maybe this one person who can do both jobs, to step in and act as my advocate. Everyone needs that. Married, Mm -hmm. no marriage. Kids, no kids. Because if 2020 has taught us anything, it's control is an illusion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you can see someone on Monday, they're on the ventilator by Friday and gone by Sunday. Mm -hmm. And they can be 30, 40, 50, 80. So even if you don't think that right now is the time to get a will, it is always the right time to have your emergency documents. So again, those are the healthcare proxy, which allows an agent to make medical decisions on your behalf and the power of attorney, which allows someone to make financial or legal decisions on your behalf. And you can be, you can give them as much free reign or as little reign as you would like. If you say, I trust this person implicitly, I will allow them to handle anything that comes up in this domain. If I'm incapacitated, you can do that. Or you can say, I only want you to have authority in these limited situations. You can do that as well. But you should still have an agent no matter how you slice it. Yeah, that's a that's a great analogy, having an agent. And especially when you're single, just making sure you, you designate that person, right? Whether it's a parent yeah. or not. Um, and if you, you know, if you don't want it to be a parent, right? If you don't want to put them in that position, mm. it's even more important to designate who you want to make that, that decision. 
Yes. I love that example you just gave because a lot of times people will come to me and they'll say, oh, I, 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 I want to have a healthcare proxy, but my daughter's not really good at making decisions or she's great at making decisions, but I feel like there will be too much pressure at the time. You can choose whomever you like. <laughs> there mm-hmm. is no requirement that this person must be a family member or they must be in the health field or they must be in the legal field. Who do you trust? to be as to act as your agent and who do you think will actually be able to step up to the plate and make those decisions mm-hmm. you know when there's an emergency that's who your person is oh and all of these documents are flexible so if you need to change your agent you need to change your will um you've changed your mind about someone or someone has passed away and they can no longer serve let's go in and make changes you don't have to wait for everything to be perfect before you plan these are living breathing documents and so as your life changes these documents will change as well yeah that that's so important the flexibility of it right Mm -hmm. it's not a final decision you make today and for the rest of your life that this is the person (laughs) you've designated exactly exactly so the next scenario i want to talk about and we touched on it a little as well is um in the situation where you do have a spouse. So your, your spouse's name is on all your assets, um, the mortgage, the, the home title. Do I then still need a will when we already share everything? That is a great question. I've never run into a couple where every single thing is shared. So that means we share the mortgage. We share the home ownership. We share the the lease on the car, your name is on my checking account and my name is on your checking account. Mm -hmm. I very rarely run into a couple that kind of operate like Siamese twins. Yeah. So you still need a will because here's the thing. If you're married to someone, that doesn't give you legal standing to have access to their documents. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you can go to Bank of America and say, oh, that was my wife. I want her checking account. She passed away. They're going to say, sir, I'm sorry your wife has passed away, but your name is nowhere on this checking account. And we need something from the court proving that you're the administrator of her estate. Then and only then will we release these funds to you. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't cause a stink because we will call security. Security. (laughs) (laughs) So you want a will because the will says, again, to those assets that don't have your name on it and they don't know where to go because they don't pass by contract and they don't pass by law. You need a will to say, um, this is who I am. This is who passed away. These are this person's instructions. And um, I have the authority to to make decisions. And let me say this. And this came up. It's actually come up twice in the past three months. The will is a great, powerful, beautiful, flexible document. But it doesn't do anything until after you've passed away, one, and after the will has been taken to the court. Sometimes people will have a will and it's perfect and it does everything that they want it to do. But after the person has passed away, nobody took it down to the surrogate's court. Mm. So... It has to go through the court process so that it can be seen as a valid will and the executor, which is the person who's been charged with following the instructions, can then get their official legal uh, title from the court. Not until you do that 
are you able to say, I'm the person in charge here. So that's why I say back to your example of husband and wife who own everything together. If for some miracle, every single little thing is owned with another person, then you're right. You don't need the will. But if there's anything where it's just your name on it, then the will allows your spouse to have access to that after you've died, assuming they've gone through the necessary court process. Yeah, that that, that's a a great answer. Yeah. Yeah. Because as you said, there's very few situations where every single thing both people are on just trying to go through that process while you're alive, where the two of you go together and put your name on it. It's sometimes, you know, too much of a hassle and you just say, Oh, I'll just take care of this. Mm -hmm. And that might be the one account you forgot about, et cetera. So, um, again, just being intentional about it with the document that dictates everything. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so then what about debt, right? Can I, I use my will to dictate how my debt is to be handled and, or does it, once I pass away, can, you know, does the debt disappear and everyone's left alone? Oh, only if debt caused, if death caused <laughs> debt to disappear. Not quite. Right. Uh, your bills are still there and Macy yeah. still wants his coins. So, <laughs> yeah. So usually we'll have something inside your, your will that says after my debts are paid, um, the balance is to be distributed amongst my heirs accordingly, right? You can say, mm-hmm. make it say essentially whatever you want it to say. But no, your debts don't disappear after you pass away. In fact, uh, one of the reasons the probate process is important is to let your debtors put them on notice that you've passed away and the your estate is going through the probate process and they are entitled to payment. You know, I don't know if they'll receive full payment depending upon how much money is left in the estate, but mm-hmm. you, the debt, the debts don't just disappear. So the will will typically say, pay my debts, whatever liabilities I have at the time. And then whatever's left go to my heirs. So this is the other tricky part that sometimes people forget. You have to take your debt into consideration um, when you're leaving assets behind, because I might have this big, beautiful home that I want to leave to my children, but there's a mortgage on it Mm -hmm. and my children don't have the money to pay the mortgage. So now it needs to be sold. Right. So now I've put my children in a situation where this beautiful brownstone or property on, on the beach or where this house, this family home in long Island, it's gone because I did not leave the resources necessary to help them actually keep up this property. And that goes for even if the house is paid off, but the property taxes are, you know, mm-hmm. $4,000 a month. I might yeah. say, thanks mom for leaving me this beautiful home, but I don't have $4,000 a month to pay the property taxes. Did you leave me a savings account so that I can manage this? Did you leave me some life insurance so that I can manage this? If not, then I might have to sell this home simply because I can't afford to keep it. Yeah, I think that it's probably a common scenario, at least I've heard or seen where people can't afford to maintain um, the home, even though it's been, you know, left to them afterwards. Yes, I know. It's so sad. And you can just see the disappointment because they have a lot of emotional attachment. They remember, you know, their 
sweet 16 party. They remember, you know, they were proposed to in the house. They remember Mm -hmm. there was an 80th birthday celebration for their grandchild, excuse me, for their grandfather. And the idea of not being able to keep it can be devastating for a lot of people. And that's why I said earlier with respect to the Bible verse that you quoted, estate planning is not only here's this big, beautiful home worth a million dollars. It could be here's some life insurance to pay off my debts because I don't want to leave you with that burden. That's that's a legacy. A lot of people are left with debts. A lot of people don't have the option to really spread their wings as much as they would like because there's all these heavy financial responsibilities weighing on them. Allowing, leaving a legacy where you can lift that burden, leaving a legacy where you can say, you know, purchase a half a million dollar policy on me and use that money to pay for the education of my three grandchildren so they don't have to incur hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt just to go to school that's Mm -hmm. legacy building right there and you don't have to be wealthy to get a half a million dollar life insurance policy right yeah and you you actually brought up one of the debts that very hot topic now but student loan debt Mm -hmm. right is there any you know and we kind of touched on it, but is there any um, ability to have student loan forgiven or, you know, taken care of after you pass? Oh, absolutely. Again, the debt doesn't go away. With the student loan, you probably have a better chance unless you co-signed um, the loan with the person right, who passed with the away. spouse or passed, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have a better chance of that being forgiven at your passing because there's not very much that Sally Mae or whomever is coming after you can do at that time. But you can absolutely in your will say, I have a whatever balance, you don't need to put the dollar amount because then that means you're updating mm-hmm. your will every time your dollar amount fluctuates, right? So yeah. generally the general language will be whatever debt is owed to my education provider, pay that first use the checking account ending in 6770 to pay that, or even then you wouldn't even need to be that specific. Use Mm -hmm. my savings to pay the debt. Use the life insurance to pay the debt. Use the sale of the condo to pay the debt. You can put any type of instruction you would like, essentially. Right, right. Um, So what about situations where there's blended families, um, second marriages, right? Kind of been maybe talking about a little isolated in a uh, nuclear family, mom and dad and children, but what happens or how should people be thinking about that um, will and estate planning when there's extended family or blended family? That's such a good question, Simone. It comes up and sometimes it can be um, a very emotional conversation because sometimes people feel guilty They feel guilty of, listen, I love my stepdaughter. I love her. I love her. But I want these assets to go to my biological daughter or to my adopted daughter, right? And they feel guilty because they feel like, I love my stepdaughter. I've, you know, maybe I've been in her life for the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And Mm -hmm. there's this guilt. And I tell people, you have a right to decide who receives your assets. Let's try to drop all this guilt. There's a there's like a guilt mm-hmm. monster on every corner of life, right? Trying to guilt you about yeah. this and guilt you about that. So what I tell those persons is, listen, we can draft something that makes it very clear that at your passing, your assets will go to your adopted or your biological children. And guess what? Your spouse's assets will go to his or her 
adopted children or biological children. There is no requirement that you have to leave something to your stepchildren. In fact, I'll say this really quickly. There's no requirement that you need to leave anything to anyone. So people always Mm -hmm. feel like, oh, I need to leave something to my son. No, you don't. There's only one person you have to leave something to, and that's your spouse. And even they can agree to be disinherited, right? So if you're part of a blended family, we can certainly draft documents that indicate that your assets are to go to your heirs um, and not necessarily to your stepchildren, especially if you have homes that have been in your side of the family for a very long time. And it's like a generational thing. You don't necessarily want to give it to um, another, another family and let it be part of their lineage. So you can absolutely draft documents that make that very clear. Yeah. And and that's great. I think um, you're trying to, again, be organized and, and navigate family dynamics um, but while you're here so that there's no confusion after you're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, because not only uh, are you dealing with your assets, but it's the relationships and, you know, you still want family to be family after you're, you're not here. And sometimes because you don't, you aren't clear about intentions or how mm-hmm. things should be handled. That causes um, more confusion with the people that you love. You're right. You're right. And you hit on, hit the nail on the head. I think it's important for people to have family meetings about this, unless you don't want your kids or whomever to know what you're leaving them, which I do run into those clients quite often, but you don't have to say, hey, you get the house and you get the boat and you get the $50,000 cash. You can have a conversation about intention so that people are aware. This is what my parent, my grandparent, my guardian, my best friend wants to happen when they're not here. And though I don't know the specifics because they haven't turned over the documents to me, we have a general understanding. And again, it's not enough to just have an understanding because understanding without a document causes a fight (laughs) after Mm -hmm. you've passed away, but it's a way to loop everyone in so that they know there are documents here. It's been taken care of. This is this person's intention. I know the general gist of what's going to happen. And so no one can, well, they can act like they're surprised, but no one should be surprised. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. Um, so I guess before I let you go, the, the last question I have is what would you say is kind of the biggest headache or the one thing um, people should make sure they're thinking about or taking care of as it relates to their estate planning? Great question. Um, firstly, take care and address your debt. The debt that we leave behind for our family members, even if they don't necessarily have to pay it. Just the stress of trying to figure out, oh, my spouse died with $75,000 worth of debt. How do I manage that? Where is all of their debt? Do they have it with Bank of America or is it with Chase? I I really actually don't know. I just know that they Mm -hmm. have all this debt. Uh, Making a clear um, plan for your debt. I'm not saying that you can have everything paid off before you passed away. But making a clear plan to minimize the debt and maybe using some type of instrument like an insurance product or something like that to pay for it is going to be a huge relief for your family. That's the first thing I think everyone should aim for 
as they get their estate plan together. The second thing I would say is there's a bunch of little things that all of us can do without an attorney. So um, checking the beneficiary designations on your contracts, that goes a long way. Okay, you named your sister as the beneficiary of your life insurance contract, but you did that long ago before you got married and you haven't changed it. Go back and change it. If who you really want now is your spouse, right? Or um, there are funeral expenses and on average, a funeral costs $18,000 a year. Maybe you should put your, I don't know, your brother's name on your checking account so that when you pass away, he can quickly access those monies to help pay for your funeral instead of passing the collection plate around. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or a GoFundMe. The <laughs> or, new, a GoFundMe. The new wave. <laughs> or a GoFundMe. Exactly. Um, so managing your debt and then reviewing your beneficiary names, beneficiary contracts, and then also looking at the titling of your property is going to be very important. People divorce and things of that nature, and they don't go back and take the ex-spouse's name off the house or they don't take the ex-spouse's name off the life insurance, or they don't take the ex-spouse's name off of their 401k. Mm-hmm. Review your beneficiary designations. You don't need an attorney to do that. You're just going into the institution and filling out their forms to make changes and have a plan for your debt. Even if your plan is, yeah, I don't think I'll ever be able to pay this off, but here's a little bit of life insurance that my family can use to pay it off so that they can receive a bigger inheritance from me because their inheritance will be decreased by the size of your debt. Mm -hmm. I would say those are the top two things people should consider um, when it's time to have these conversations about estate planning. And of course, seek out a professional estate planning attorney who's licensed in your state, someone you like. I never encourage anyone to work with anyone that they don't like. I don't care if they come highly recommended. They're the best attorney in the world. If you don't like them, it's not going to work for you. Always work with someone that you want to work with. Yeah, that that's great. I think, um, those things are definitely takeaways I have. And a lot of what we spoke about, you know, reminders as well as, you know, opening my eyes to things that, um, I, even I should be looking into or thinking about. So I really appreciate you taking the time today, Lillian, and speaking, uh, speaking with me and, and sharing what you, your experience and what you know. So, uh, if you want to leave your socials or emails where people can find you or any other, you know, last words, um, before we close out. Sure. Thank you so much. And again, I love that you have your platform where you get to have these conversations, essentially any conversation you want to make and create. I think that's really phenomenal. I I love when I see people creating and working their gifts. So thank you for doing what you're doing, not only just because you're giving us information, but just seeing you do what you do encourages other people, including myself to say, hmm, I can create something too. So thank you so much, Simone. Thank you so, so much for doing all of that. Um, as far as where people can find me on Instagram, it's Lily, which is my first name, L-I-L-L-I-E underscore in Kenshore. That's my last name. That's N as in Nancy, K as in King, E as in Elephant, N as in Nancy, C-H-O-R, and I think underscore E-S-Q. So Lily underscore in Kenshore underscore E-S-Q. You can find that essentially on YouTube, Instagram, 
Facebook, and then my website is lilyandkentroy.com. So we're here to answer questions, point you in the right direction, and hopefully partner with you to make your estate planning vision come to reality. Yes, that's awesome. And then of, of course, if, as people cross into the space of needing estate tax planning, that that's even more important to make sure you're working with the professional. So absolutely. And estate administration. So if the administration part is okay, so-and-so has passed away. Now we need to go through the court system. Now we need to go through probate. Now there's a petition we need to file with the court. That's a whole nother beast. So there's estate mm-hmm. planning, there's estate tax planning, and then there's estate administration. And we deal with a lot of estate administration headaches simply because there was a lack of estate planning. So let's mm-hmm. partner together and make sure your estate planning is together so that your estate administration won't be a headache. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. Um, again, Lily, thank you so much um, for the thank conversation. You. Thank you. All right.